everybody. It's Allie, and welcome to our YNR chat for Sunday, May 8th, 2011. Well, the secret about Lucy's identity is out, and I'm almost shocked how out it is. Everybody in Genoa City knows that Lucy Abbott is actually Daniel and Daisy's child. And furthermore, everybody knows that Billy bought this child on the black market, which is a very black spot on his record. So it all started when Daniel coyly and, and, and shortly let out of the bag to Phyllis that maybe he knew where his child was all along. And <laughs> the whole thing just unraveled from there. Phyllis figured it all out in a matter of minutes. She just, I don't even know how she made the connection, but she just figured it out that Lucy was actually Daniel's child and that's really all it took. <laughs> she started talking suddenly about how Lucy is one of us. She's one of us, you know? She's our family and we need to have her. And she very quickly flew over to Billy and Victoria's house, regardless of Daniel's feelings, regardless of what he had to say on the topic. And as soon as she walked into the door, through the door at Billy and Victoria's house, Victoria just looked at Phyllis and she knew. She knew. It was hard enough for Billy and Victoria when the truth kind of came out that Daniel was actually their child's father. I mean, how awkward. In so many ways, how awkward. But when Phyllis walked through the door, Victoria just looked at her and she knew that Phyllis knew. I mean, the way Phyllis was looking at Lucy for the first time with new eyes, you know, as realizing that it was, it was her granddaughter. And before things got ugly, and trust me, they did get ugly, Things got really sad, really quickly. They got really sad. Um, Victoria is standing there clinging to Lucy, just clinging onto her for dear life. And Phyllis makes a simple request, can I hold her? And Victoria totally reluctantly agrees. She puts Lucy into Phyllis's arms and Phyllis holds her granddaughter in her arms for the very first time. And in that moment, for as annoying as Phyllis has been <laughs> for weeks, badgering Daniel about his daughter and just knowing at this point that she has the intent of taking Lucy away from Billy and Victoria. In this moment, I, as she's holding her granddaughter, I just totally understood where she was coming from. I felt like this whole time I'm going to be thinking, oh, Phyllis, why are you doing this? But it, it just in this moment, I felt I understood where Phyllis was coming from. She lost custody of Daniel when Daniel was very little. She lost all of that time with him, and it's time that she never will be able to get back, and she's just never forgiven herself for that. And she actually said to Michael later in the week something like, what would you give 
to stop your child from repeating your own worst mistake. And I really identified with that, too, because, I mean, I have that instinct. I don't know if you guys have that instinct. It's like when you see someone who you think is making a mistake because you have made that mistake so many times or, 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 or one big time, whatever. You see somebody making that mistake and you desperately want to stop them. You know, you, you see where it's going and you want to stop them. And the, But the only problem is that you can't. You can't stop somebody. People need to make their own mistakes. And I think Phyllis's heart was in the right place. She has all of this just personal regret. And she sees this opportunity to be the one thing that she never thought that she would want to be. A grandmother. I mean, she's this term has been following her around and just dogging her, you know, for when she first found out about this baby. And now she's embracing the idea and she just wants to make things right. But taking Lucy away from Billy and Victoria is not the way to make things right. This is not the way to do it. I mean, almost immediately, this whole thing gets real ugly. I mean, it, it was a brief moment of sad, and then it just launched into everyone on all sides being completely defensive. I mean, Phyllis wants the kid. She just wants the kid. She feels, you know, it's her tribal instinct kicks in and she and she she wants this child. And Billy and Victoria obviously have no intention whatsoever of giving her up. Billy especially is going into Papa Bear mode and he's ready to defend his youngin. And 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 Victoria really touched me this week just in how devastated she she was about this whole thing. And I mean, Daniel is caught in the middle. You know, he has, he doesn't want to raise the child. He loves the child, but he wants, wants the best for the child. He wants the child to stay with Billy and Victoria. So he ends up signing away his parental rights, which is a huge step. He just decides to sign the papers and make sure that Lucy stays put where she is. And so it's just Billy and Victoria versus Phyllis with Daniel caught in the middle and the lawyers are coming in and, you know, and, you know, nobody wants to make a huge scene out of this entire situation, but it's, it's so clear that it would be so easy to get ugly. And it just, the whole thing seemed so insurmountable. It just, it seemed like they would never come to any kind of, uh, you know, any kind of uh, accord with the situation. And I'm also thinking the whole time, it's extra awkward because Billy is Phyllis's boss. I mean, that adds a whole nother layer that hasn't really even been explored yet. But I mean, Phyllis's job could be in jeopardy at this point. But I mean, in the end, I was really proud of Phyllis for recognizing that, you know, the best thing for Lucy would be to stay with the only family that she's ever known. Nobody's denying that Phyllis and Daniel are the biological family, but what's best for Lucy is what needs to be considered here. And I was totally proud of Phyllis for backing down and accepting a compromise, you know, because that defeat is not even a word that's in Phyllis's vocabulary. So for her to, to step back was it was really huge. Billy and Victoria come to this um, the, this compromise. They decide that they're going to keep Lucy. Everybody decides that Lucy is where she should be, and Phyllis will get to see her as much as she wants, anytime she wants, and she will have an active role in her life. 
so everything <laughs> looks like it's gonna work out, then just as this agreement is getting ready to be reached, ding dong, it's CPS knocking at the door. Thanks a lot, Chloe. So when everyone in Genoa City found out that Lucy was Daisy and Daniel's baby, and more scandalously, that Billy adopted her illegally, it was like pouring gasoline onto Chloe's already raging fire, okay? She's already upset with Billy because he didn't listen to her about Jana. She warned him that Jana was a nut job and Jana ended up running away with their kid. And now Chloe learns that, hey, there might be a little bit of retribution that could happen here. Billy bought his other daughter, bought her. In Chloe's mind, she's like, this is not cool. Billy just accused me of being an unfit mother, and now this is what, you know, this is what he's doing. So she decides to file for full custody of Delia. Okay? Yeah. That'll show him. That's going to totally work. I'm so irritated, you guys. I'm so irritated because, for one thing, Billy threatened to take full custody of Delia, like, last month. Okay, we've already seen this. And now, Chloe is just doing the exact same thing. It's the same thing over and over again. And I, just, I, I feel like the hypocrisy is thick. Up in here. I'm tired of it. I mean, who has the right to throw stones here? Certainly not people in glass houses because Chloe is currently involved with a man, Kevin, who is being accused of kidnapping her daughter, Delia. Is it me? Or isn't that the reason that Sharon had her daughter taken away from her? It's, the, the door swings both ways, and I think most importantly of all, <sighs> I am so tired of people on this show filing for full custody. I'm tired of the threat of people's children being taken away from them. It happens like once every two months. It's just ridiculous. I mean, the way people's kids are just getting ripped away from them willy-nilly, it's... Call me old-fashioned. Maybe that. Maybe it's me. Maybe it's just me. But I think it's a frivolous thing in our society to be filing for full custody every time. I mean, child has two parents. You know, it feels frivolous at this point. I'm sure there are situations where, there, where it's warranted, of course, but... I think it's frivolous and ridiculous in in society right now, in our culture, and I think it's ridiculous on the show. Plus, two storylines involving CPS within the last couple of months? What is up 
up with that? I mean, what what are, what are you trying to say here? <laughs> I'm, I'm tired of see, seeing CPS. I'm tired of them being involved in lives. I'm tired of them being involved in the show. I mean, the CPS worker literally comes and rips Lucy out of Victoria's arms. So because Chloe has filed this petition for full custody, the state gets involved, come knocking on the door, the CPS worker just walks right up in there and takes their child. And, like, again, I understand that there are some circumstances in which, you know, a CPS might step in to help a child in need, but this was not one of those cases. And that was totally clear. Everybody who's there, I mean, Phyllis was there, Daniel was there, the lawyers were there, Billy and Victoria, everybody's saying, look, this child is in a loving home. There's no need to rip her out of her home. Wouldn't even let the kid take any toys. CBS just takes the child. And (laughs) there was, I just felt like there was no real concern for what was best for the child. And I just, I, this is me and my personal stuff here, but I feel like it's just another excuse to have, you know, like bureaucrats butting into people's lives. And I really hate it. I hate the government so much. (laughs) I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I... This, I got sidetracked. This is not Allie's Anarchy chat. (laughs) This is Allie's YNR chat. I do Allie's Anarchy chat on Sunday or on Saturday. I'm just kidding. Um, Okay, I'm back to to normal. The point, my point, friends, is... I'm going to get flamed this week. But my point is, (laughs) the families were so close to having everything worked out on their own so close. It could have been quietly worked out amongst themselves. And now Lucy is stuck, wrapped up in a roll of red tape. And it sickens me. And I I feel like this is going to completely destroy Billy and Victoria's relationship. Victoria doesn't even want to look at Billy right now. And who could blame her? He promised her that if he was giving Lucy, giving her Lucy, putting Lucy in her arms, that Lucy was not going to be taken away. And that did not end up being true. Victoria is going through the loss of, you know, having Reed and, and her several miscarriages. She's going through all of that again. All of these feelings are getting dredged up for her. And Ashley came in to support her this week, and I, which I thought was really awesome. Um, but there's no amount of support that's going to help her. This sucks for Victoria. She is the innocent bystander here. Maybe it's karma for everything that she's done, but either way, I wouldn't wish that upon anybody. And Phyllis, I should have known that all of this um, magnanimousness from Phyllis was too good to be true. She was being too kind. She was compromising too much. I should have known it was too good to be true. Because now that the police are involved, And we're starting to see Daniel get a little bit soft on the subject of Lucy. Phyllis (laughs) has this look in her eye like she is planning something sneaky. Kevin's trapped in the closet. He's trapped in the closet. In the closet. He's in the closet. Kevin's in the closet. He's in the closet. Trapped in the closet. I cannot be the first person to make that joke. I guess if you don't know that that song, it's not funny, but it's, trust me, it's funny. It's hilarious. I barely even know what to say to you guys about the Kevin and Jana situation. 
It was crazy from beginning to end. Ugh. Jenna has kidnapped Kevin, and she thinks that she can force him into loving her again. She wants to break his will, break him down to get her to a point where he can love her again. So she's she's done being a nice girl and she is ready to do whatever it, it takes to get her man. I mean, she's locking him in the closet at this old abandoned daycare center when she knows that Kevin has this history of being locked in the closet and that, you know, that that's terrifying for him. And she does it to him anyway, out of love. Um, she's... She's pointing a gun at his head. She's if if he comes out of the closet, she's handcuffing him to the chair. He can't even. She gives him like an apple to eat. He can't even eat the apple on his own. She's like treating him like he's one of her daycare children. She's holding the apple up to his mouth and having him take a bite. It's so weird. I, and while he is in the closet, she's sitting out in this daycare room, cutting out a little con construction paper makeshift Ouija board I guess to get advice on which route to take to crazy town it's so weird it's so all over the place I mean this whole thing is so all over the place and like I'm not even saying that it's all good like honestly some of it was good some of it was bad most of the time that Kevin is being held ha captive, Kevin's trying to convince her that he still loves her, that they do have a future together, and they end up talking a lot about their past, which, and they did a lot of reminiscing, which I thought was a really good way to kind of pay tribute to this couple, because we were all pretty into Kevin and Jana for a while. They made a good couple for a while. They were funky. They were different. It wasn't typical. Well, they weren't your typical daytime couple. They were, they were dark. They were creepy. And it was, an, it was interesting. And, you know, they did a lot of reminiscing about their past, um, like, you know, talking about when Jana first came to Genoa City and... She had her crazy wild hair color, and she was on a, you know, a motorcycle, and um, and that's kind of what what made Kevin uh, fall in love with her. That she was just a little bit different, and you know, they talked about so many things, like you know, their wedding at the ashram, and and they talked about Jana's bachelorette party when Kevin dressed up <laughs> as like a as a swami <laughs> and crashed her bachelorette party because he wanted to be in on it, and. I, I totally forgot about that. That was so cute, and it was nice to just have that moment, you know, where they connected, even though Kevin is trying desperately just to save himself, try to convince uh, her that he's possibly still in love with her so that she'll let him go. It was still nice to have, you know, the, that those memories, but then it got real weird, real, real weird. Jana realizes that Kevin is tricking her for like the 500th time and <laughs> she gets this idea in her head that she needs to go back to being crazy Janet in order to make him love her again. She wants to go back to the beginning and she decides she also like brings up about when Kevin was on the run you know and he was the chipmunk and she decides that they need to be Bonnie and Clyde and go robbing banks together and she she goes out 
and she buys red hair coloring, I guess, and black lipstick, and she comes back to Kevin, who's trapped in the closet, opens up the door, and her hair has this red streak in it. She's wearing black lipstick and dark eyeshadow, and she has this crazy look in her eye, and it was so whacked. It was so whacked. She also, like, somehow ordered online the chipmunk head that Kevin wore when he was robbing banks before, and this is her huge plan. It's, it was it was so weird. It was so all over the place. It was not cohesive at all, and I'm not just talking about Jana. The whole thing, it, I, it, unless that was the intent, but the whole thing just felt totally jarring. I didn't know what was going to happen next. It was so unbelievably weird, <laughs> and while all of this is going on, with Kevin and Jana, the madness. While Jana's doing freaking construction paper crafts, cutting out a little mask, a little clown mask for herself for when they go robbing banks, Gloria and Chloe and Catherine, meanwhile, back at home, are looking for Kevin. They realize that he's not a fugitive, that he's being held captive by Jana, and they want to help him. Like, Chloe and Glo Gloria... Glow and glow, hold this press conference to try to you know, raise awareness and try to get him brought back home safely. And Catherine, she um, prints up these find Kevin t-shirts and flyers. And Catherine recalls how much Kevin fought for her to bring her back home when she was in trouble. And now Catherine wants to do the same thing for him. And in the end. Jana ends up calling Chloe, who has a lot going on this week. <laughs> Chloe has a lot going on this week. Jana calls Chloe. And Jana's thinking, I'm going to bring Chloe into this situation with Kevin, and I'm going to kill her. <laughs> I'm just going to kill her, and I'm going to make Kevin watch, probably, as I kill her. This is her big plan. So she tells Chloe, get over here. This is where I am. No cops. So Chloe com complies. And what happens next was all so quick. It was like this whole climax to this whole storyline was stretched out in so many weird ways and then the end was just done. Just done. Chloe shows up at the abandoned daycare center <laughs> and as soon as she like walks in the door Kevin shouts get the gun and Kevin kicks the gun out of Jana's hand. The gun goes flying and Chloe jumps on top of Jana and starts attacking her and they're struggling, you know, for the gun and just struggling in general. Kevin's still handcuffed to the chair, so there's not a whole lot that he can do. And Chloe is shaking Jana. I mean, almost like I, just shaking her uncontrollably and just slowly you start to see Jana's eyes kind of roll back in her head and her, her neck kind of goes limp and I guess Jana has had a brain hemorrhage <laughs> during the shaking with Chloe. I don't know if Chloe caused it or if it was just the culmination of her craziness, but Jana apparently had a brain hemorrhage, hemorrhage and now she is lying on the floor, lifeless, with a trickle of blood coming out of her nose. She is dead. Jana is dead. It was weird, and I am glad it's over.
Michael Baldwin is the busiest man alive. He was barely even involved in the search for kidna- for Kevin as he's kidnapped. Like Michael has way too many things going on. He's he's the busiest man alive. He's got Sharon's will, which we'll talk about later. He reluctantly got roped into representing Phyllis in this custody case against really what Lauren would have liked him to do and against his own better judgment. And then (laughs) he ended up taking on Angelo's case. It it was kind of cute. It was weird, but it was kind of (laughs) cute. Jeff, last week or the week before, as soon as Kevin went missing, Jeff convinced Michael that Angelo had something to do with Kevin's disappearance. I think that Jeff just wants to get Angelo into trouble. He wants to get him off of his back. So Michael has to pursue this lead. Michael goes and talks to Angelo. So this opens up their strange little relationship. So Michael asks Angelo if he will keep an eye out for Kevin, have his goons on the street, keep an eye out for Kevin. And Angelo says, yes, but there may come a time when I need you to do a favor for me. (laughs) That was a really bad, that was my godfather impression. It was really bad. But anyway, the favor comes sooner rather than later. Okay. So (laughs) Angelo, he's so cute He's just so cute. I mean, he's really, really growing on me. Angelo lets Michael know that, like, he 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 needs his help now. He gets called down to the police station, and Angelo tells Michael that now the day has come. He needs his help in getting out of of this jam. I think basically, I don't think we saw it, but I think Jeff called the cops on Angelo, and Angelo got hauled into jail, and then it kind of brought Michael and Angelo together again. But suddenly. Jeff is getting real ballsy with Angelo. Suddenly, like, he's paid off his debt, he's tired of getting kicked around, and he's taking every possible opportunity to stand up for himself, whether it's even a good idea or not. So, like, I, I think that things are kind of coming to a boil with Jeff and Angelo, and I think, this is just me, I have nothing to back this up, but I think... Jeff is going to die. I think they're going to kill Jeff. Just the way it's building. I just have this feeling. And especially now that Angelo and Gloria seem to have this little connection. They're becoming close. And Angelo would be happy if Jeff was out of the way permanently. And he's the guy to make it happen. So that's where I think it's going. Um, So what does everybody think about um, the replacement, the temporary replacement actor for Jeff? I haven't heard anybody say anything. Do you guys like him? Does anybody prefer him to the other Jeff? I don't know. Does this guy make you miss old Jeff? Let me know what your thoughts are. Leave me a comment. The waves of Lucy's paternity secret just continue to ripple throughout Genoa City. Daniel finally tells Abby the truth that her niece and goddaughter are actually his daughter. (laughs) How awkward. And Abby, she freaks out in a really 
unexpected and weird direction, I think. Lily approaches Daniel. This is how it all kind of unfolded. Lily walks up to, to Daniel at the athletic club, and she doesn't realize that he's talking to Abby at the time. And she kind of rounds a corner and, and says to him immediately something that indicates that she already knew about all of the drama that was going on with him and Lucy, not, again, realizing that Abby's sitting right there. And it dawns on Abby that Lily has known this entire time. So, while all of this is going on with Daniel, he's having a really hard time, obviously. This is not easy for him. Rather than confiding in Abby, he has chosen to confide in Lily. Of course, we know that he didn't confide in Abby because she was so close to the situation. And I don't think that she would have handled it very well. And and, and, and indeed, she, she really didn't even after she found out. Like, instead of being upset with Daniel for not telling her... Abby's reaction was to be very upset at the Lily and Daniel situation. She suddenly becomes very insecure. That is her biggest worry about it. It's 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 it's, it's not mad at Daniel. It's mad that it's mad about the potential of Daniel and Lily's relationship. And I think that Lily honestly just didn't know where to put these emotions. I think she's having a lot of emotions right now, and she just didn't know where else to channel them. And I I didn't get a chance last week to talk about a really great scene that we saw with Abby in the church. As soon as she found out about Daniel and Lily's situation, she goes to the church, and she's going to pray. And she talks out loud to God about how just completely insecure she is when it comes to Lily. Because Lily is this incredible person. She has beat cancer. She lost her husband. She is raising two twin babies on her own. And she's this beautiful model and a really good friend and a really amazing human being. And Abby just says out loud to God, how am I supposed to compete with that? It was such a great scene because I feel like I, I just appreciated the way that Abby went about it. She wasn't trash talking Lily. You know, a lot of times if you're if you're seeing a, your boyfriend hanging out with his ex-wife, you want to trash talk that girl. But with Lily, there's nothing to trash you know, Abby just took a very almost, it was immature, but there was maturity in there, too, where she's maybe learning something about herself. So, after turning to God, Abby does the next best thing. She decides to turn to liquor. She decides to get really, really drunk, and she hits the bar. She has a lot of sorrows, actually, that need drowning. It's, it's more than just the Daniel thing, but she hits the bar, and she gets super sloppy, loud, drunk. And after having this really <laughs> bizarre heart-to-heart -heart with <laughs> everyone's favorite sober bartender, Deacon, Abby decides the best way to deal with this problem with Lily is to just confront it head on. So in she drunk dials Lily, 
Who's what? This woman has been through so much. And Abby's drunk dialing her and saying, come on over to the to the club. Or no, it was at Glowworm. Come on over to Glowworm. We're, we, I have some things I want to say to you. And the whole time you think that Abby is going to end up chewing Lily out. And she doesn't. She, again, just kind of says all of the same things that she said to God. She just repeats them like, you know, you're amazing and I can't compete with you. And it, it was almost like a plea, like, please don't take my man because you could completely have him. You're so much better than I am. And it was it was just I really appreciated it. I thought it was a really it was a really interesting turn of events. And of course, Lily's sitting there like, I don't want your man. I'm having an affair with my ghost husband. You know, she she doesn't she's not interested. She's not thinking about anything except for Kane. And here Abby's just like laying this on her and Lily's so humble and so uh, she just does the right thing always. And Lily tries to smooth things out like there's nothing going on between me and Daniel and Daniel comes in and he comes, tries to reassure Abby that there's nothing really going on between them but Abby is just not rational at this point she or maybe she is maybe she's completely right maybe she realizes that it's really only a matter of time before Daniel gets fed up with all of this crap and it really is. It really may well be. I mean, Daniel's going through this growing pain, you know, with, with Lucy. And it's time for her to start going for, through those growing pains, too. I really hope that this marks a turning point for Abby. I would like to see her give up on this whole naked heiress thing. It is so over. And I, I'd like to see her start thinking about how she can become her own amazing independent woman. It's time, and she certainly has enough cash to get a good head start. So this week, Tucker tries to make Abby an offer she can't refuse. <laughs> Two Godfather references. All jam-packed into one YNR chat vlog. What more can you ask for, folks? <laughs> so... It's $300 per share for all, for all of Abby's Newman stock that she got from Brad when he died, which is a, a sizable chunk and a really good offer. Tucker offers her like mad money that she really needs right now, $300 per share. Now, Tucker claims that he wanted to buy these shares from Abby in order to give them as a wedding present to Ashley. Now, everybody knows that Tucker wants to get a piece of Newman Enterprises for himself. And if he's marrying Ashley next week, everything she owns he owns. So, I mean, it's totally transparent. And it bothers me that he used that as a ruse. And Ashley, he was smart enough, by the way, to clue Ashley in about it. And try and tell her that he he's getting ready to purchase these shares from Abby as a grand romantic gesture. And Ashley is, she's accepting it. She is, in fact, eating it up 
with a spoon. She thinks that this is such an amazing gift. Most women get a piece of jewelry from their fiancés, and I'm getting all of these Newman stock options because Ashley genuinely does want to merge Beauty of Nature with Chabot to create a, a good cosmetic firm. I just... A huge cosmetic firm. I just hate to see Ashley getting played and I do think that Tucker likes her and I or loves her and I do like Tucker but it just I just thought that that whole thing with Abby and the way he approached it as if it was for Ashley when we all know damn well it's for him I thought that whole thing was sketch it was just sketch city and I honestly I I don't know if if Tucker and Ashley are even going to end up getting married next week or not. I mean, I, I feel like Tucker is just way more like Victor than Ashley would like to admit. It's it's kind of sad, and I really hate seeing her get caught up in the same old thing. And Abby tried desperately to convince Ashley not to marry Tucker, because this wedding is coming up next week, and Abby's like, don't marry him. He is sketchy. But Abby, she just, she doesn't know how to communicate. She can only be a brat. I mean, she can, she has, she has a series of emotions that she needs to get out, and she doesn't know how to communicate properly or like an adult whatsoever. So, she ends up screaming at Ashley to not marry Tucker, and it was a very loud, very public and very brutal argument between Abby and Ashley. And it was heartbreaking, to be honest with you. Just, Abby was showing her mom no respect. I mean, Ashley, she is delicate, but she's not that delicate. She has the ability to make her own decisions. Everyone kind of treats her like she is this little delicate flower. But I think that, you know, Ashley has to have somewhat of her eyes open when it comes to Tucker. But, but I... I just feel like there was no respect whatsoever from from Abby to her mother, and it, it just, and especially to, for that conversation to be happening out in public, it was really horrible. And the worst part was, the whole thing ended in Abby screaming at Ashley, "How many men do you have to let walk all over you?" <sighs> just, I mean, what a great way to make Ashley feel <sighs> weak. And, and untrusted, and just like a piece of trash. I just, I really hated, <clears throat> I just really hated that whole thing, because I really liked Ashley, and I want to believe that Tucker can come around, and that he can be a good guy when push comes to shove, but, you know, it, it also, I guess, gives me some insight, some more insight into why Abby is the way she is. I mean, she's watched her mom hop from man to man, and quite powerful men, for all of her life, and she doesn't want that for herself. She doesn't want to follow that path, which I think is why she <laughs> revels in going head to head with these strong, strong men, and especially with Tucker. So Abby turns around and she decides that, oh no, Tucker is not going to be getting these stocks. She is going to sell them to Jack for $299 a share. That's $1 less than what Tucker offered her. Not $1 more. $1 less 
just just stick it to Tucker. Like, it's not even about the money. I just didn't want you to have the shares. And <laughs> so Abby gets this really choice opportunity to stick it to Tucker. And probably most importantly, Jack gets this opportunity to stick it to Victor. Because now Jack owns a sizable part of Newman Enterprises. I mean, it's not it's not a, a, a small thing. I mean, ladies and gentlemen, Jack Abbott owns a piece of Newman Enterprises, and it's uh, you know it's it's going to be interesting. I think this is the groundwork for uh, um, some very cool business storylines to come. And how long do you think it took? <laughs> For Jack to run over to Victor's house to rub it in. Three seconds, maybe four seconds. <laughs> because Jack rushes right over the ranch, walks in the front door with this look on his face like he is the cat who ate the canary. Of course, Victor played it cool. He did not let Jack know how upset he was, but... He, Victor felt totally betrayed by the, by Abby's decision to sell her shares in his family company to, to Victor's worst enemy. And I guess the thing is, I, I really, I don't even think that that occurred to Abby. I don't think that was in her thought process because Abby and Victor were starting to make some progress on their relationship. And I really don't think that, that she meant to do that to get back at Victor. I think she did it completely impulsively, completely thoughtlessly, which is pretty much her style, and I don't think she did it to hurt Victor. But Victor was hurt nonetheless. And Diane, his wife du jour, tries to comfort him. You know, she knows that that's got to hurt. And she tries to be there to get him to talk about it. But Victor does not want to talk about it with Diane. Victor wants to have sex with Diane. And Victor wants to use Diane and her son as a bargaining chip. But Victor does not want to open up about his personal problems to Diane. And they kind of talk about that a little bit. Diane recognizes that. And in the end, she says, you know what? Fine. I'm just going to go out. I'll go shopping. I'll, I'll go spend your money. <laughs> I'll go get a massage. I, I earned your hard-earned money by marrying you, you old goat. So I'll just go out. So Diane goes out and goes shopping. And at the same time, Nikki is finding out that Abby did this. And her first instinct with everything is Victor. So Nikki rushes right out to the ranch to try to comfort Victor. This is her opportunity once again to, to comfort Victor. And <laughs> Victor, it's always the same. Victor is all upset about something and Nikki just drills at him, just drills at him, just drills at him until she can get something through his thick skull. <laughs> That's the only way to do it. And I mean... Like, it's just, it's it's very Nikki, it's very Victor, it's the same old thing. And about midway through the conversation, Diane comes back home. She walks in, and she overhears the Nikki and Victor conversation. And, you know, she's hearing Victor accept the comfort and the advice from Nikki that he would not accept from her. And I, you know, the, the interesting thing about this was that Diane wasn't mad 
To to me, she's she's overhearing this conversation, and the look on her face to me says sad, sadness that I've really screwed up my life. I'm with a man where there is no love in our relationship, and I just think in that moment, Diane truly realized that Nikki is the only one who can break through these walls that Victor puts up at the first sign of somebody not doing what he wants them to do. Nikki just knows how to drill through it like a freaking broken record. And Diane just doesn't have that. She does not have that relationship with Victor. So, Victor and Nikki embrace. Victor has been, his wall has come down. He agrees that he's not gonna, you know, he, his family is the most important thing. And actually, Nikki said something really interesting to him. Something like, you know, you are constant. I know it's your instinct to constantly fight, but you have everything that you want. Can you just be happy? And is that touched Victor somehow? And they fall into this embrace, but it was not a lover's embrace. It was a friendship embrace and I think that in that in that moment in Diane's eyes that was worse it was worse to see them as friends than it would be as if they had a kiss I think Diane could deal with it if Victor and Nikki had kissed right then and there I mean she saw them sleeping together a couple of months ago but in that moment it was worse that there was it was love it was genuine love it wasn't just passion it was it was love and understanding and a long-term relationship that they have together and she realizes Diane realizes in full that she's not the wife She's not the woman in Victor's life at all. And so what does she do? <laughs> like the classy broad that she is, Diane seeks retaliation. <laughs> Diane goes right over to Jack's house. <laughs> walks right through the front door and says to Jack, I'm going to give you an opportunity to give it to Victor. And Jack says, really? How? Diane says, by giving it to me. She whips off her clothes, standing there nude in front of Jack, Jack moves in for the nookie and scene. I will admit, I have just never been much of a Devon fan. I just, I've never disliked him, but he's just never really done anything for me. Like, he's, he's just always been kind of a background character to me. But I, 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 I will tell you that I thought it was really nice seeing him this past week. I think that's the first time I've ever actually been excited to see Devon on screen, and I don't even know why it was. I mean, he he just seems to be coming into himself. The actor, maybe. It's just, he seems much more relaxed, and watching him interact with Noah and talk about business was really cool, and, and it just it re kind of reminded me of a young Neil, and I, I liked it. I, I like the idea of Devon as, like, this up-and-coming music producer. I don't know how I feel about Noah and the whole music thing, but whatever, it might be good. I, I, I'm kind of looking forward.
forward to seeing more of them together. And I'm also really liking how Devon is jumping right in there on Lily and Daniel and kind of implying that there's more to their friendship than just friendship. And I just, for some reason, I kind of like it. Like, Devon is on Lily like birds on bird seed. He's on her constantly. And I like it also because I feel like Devon might actually be the one to end up saving her from whatever's going on with this Kane ghost situation, you know? Um, well, actually, I guess I shouldn't say Kane's ghost because we can finally, I think, rule out that possibility. There's, It's gone. There's no more possibility that it's just... It, that it's just otherworldly <laughs> that Kane is a ghost and coming to visit Lily because dead men don't use cell phones, okay? This is not an angel anymore. I, after another encounter with Lily and Bad Kane, which is what I'm gonna call him now. <laughs> He's Bad Kane now. <laughs> Bad Kane pulled a cell phone out of his pocket and started to dial. And I feel now solidified in my evil twin theory. <laughs> I think this is not an angel cane. This is an evil twin cane. And he said one thing this week that made me have a bit of a hint about where we might be going with all of this, finally. So, <laughs> Bad Kane told Lily that he wants her to bring the babies to see him. He wants Lily to bring the babies to the grave site. And I'm wondering, why is that? Why is that? Because I heard a little rumor that an actress has been cast to come play Kane's mom. So with that in mind, if Kane really was involved in this mob family, then I'm kind of wondering if this whole bad evil Kane twin thing is part of a plan for that side of the family to get their hands on Kane and Lily's children and bring them back into their family, bring them back to Australia. I, I, I wonder if that's where we're going, which, which could have some interesting implications, especially where maybe Colin and Jill are concerned. It could be interwoven. So we'll see. We'll see if that's where it's going. But until then, God forbid Lily tell anyone that she's seeing Kane's ghost or CPS will start knocking at her door. Ooh, I almost completely forgot to comment about Malcolm and Sophia and Neil. So, what happened this week? Sophia, of course, is pregnant. And now we're getting to the point where we're trying to calculate when exactly she got pregnant. And things are very tense between her and Neil. And they're trying to calculate the date. Meanwhile, Malcolm, totally happy, totally clueless, celebrating the fact that he's going to be a father. At every given moment, he's nudging Neil, saying, hey, I'm going to be a father. Well, during one of these very intense moments between Sophia and Neil, Olivia who, by the way, very nice to see. Really enjoying the Olivia right now. Olivia happens to 
kind of see a little moment between Sophia and Neil totally figures the whole thing out. <laughs> Just immediately figures the whole thing out. She confronts Sophia, not Neil, Sophia. And she's saying, please, please tell me that this baby is not Neil's. She just, she read between the lines and she knew. And Sophia was just crushed. I mean, she's got so much going on. She's got a new marriage that's on the verge of falling apart. If the secret comes out that she's now pregnant and she doesn't know who the father is. So her, she, she's begging Olivia for help. And Olivia's trying to help her calculate when exactly the baby could have been conceived. And get this. <laughs> together and Olivia decides that the baby would have had to have been conceived between February 22nd and February 24th and Sophia <laughs> she says out loud oh no that's the worst possible date because Neil and I made love on the 23rd <laughs> so obvious. I mean, okay. <laughs> so now it's pretty much a given that Sophia's baby is Neil's. And I will say when Sophia and Neil were, you know, having a conversation, a tense conversation this week, Neil did exactly what I thought he was going to do and predicted he was going to do. And I'm proud of him for doing, he said, if this baby is mine, I'm gonna say something about it. You may not decide to tell Malcolm, but I'm gonna tell Malcolm. And I was proud of Neil for that because he knows how it feels to be in that situation and he wanted to choose the alternate path and just the path of truth, which I thought was um, very upstanding of him. However, <laughs> Sophia does not want the secret to come out and Olivia is perfectly happy to help her cover it up, which is totally unlike Olivia. Olivia is very by the book, but now she realizes that especially with, like, Lily in this condition, this family does not need any more drama, although I'm quite enjoying it. So Olivia helps Sophia come up with this plan to hide it. She tells Sophia to lie about the date of conception or lie, lie about the date, um, you know, of her you know, last period and all that other stuff. She tells, she tells Sophia to just push the date by like two weeks. No one will ever notice. Babies are born two weeks off all the time. And so Olivia helps Sophia concoct this little lie, which it's kind of too bad because I would love to have seen Sophia and Olivia be friends. And now it's just, it's, it's strange between them, between them. I mean, Olivia even said, I'm lying for you. I'm a doctor. I have a, you know, obligation and here I am lying for you. So I hope you appreciate it. And I'm not doing this for you, by the way. I'm doing this for my family. So things are, are kind of tense there. But for now, it seems that Sophia's secret is safe. You know, things have been very intense on the Sharon front for the last couple of weeks, but not very much this week. We only saw very few scenes Sharon is settling in at the farmhouse, and Sam has given her a nice little gift of the internet. Sharon has internet now, and it was a, it was kind of cool. Sharon logs onto the internet in the barn. Cry <laughs> out loud! I barely get internet connection in my stupid old house. She's getting internet connection in the barn. Although it's so it's cool because like when Victor when this whole thing happened to Victor. 
when he went off into his farm world, it was so much more cut off. Sam is kind of hip. You know, he's a farmer and he's a country guy, but he has internet, he has TV, you know, he's, 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 you know, he's kind of forward thinking. So Sharon gets an internet connection and she kind of goes through and, and looks on, what was it, Face Place? <laughs> YNR's version of uh, Facebook, kind of just like View Click is their version of YouTube. So Sharon goes on to Face Place and she sees all of these people who have left comments on her page, you know, her memorial page. Some of them are really nice and really touching and some of them are horrible, which is so, it's just so, I, Sharon's like kind of emotional. Everybody thinks she's dead for crying out loud. And, you know, she's going through these messages and you know, it was um, it was kind of representative because Sharon was is kind of like a polarizing figure. I think either you love her or you hate her. You know, there's not a whole lot of in between where Sharon is concerned. But um, probably, I'm sure there's going to be more to come on that next week. But the more explosive part of this is Sharon's will. So back at the ranch. Uh, everyone's kind of getting their hands on a copy of Sharon's will and slowly figuring out that Sharon left her house not to Noah, her son, not to Faith, her daughter, not to Nick, who should rightfully have it, but to Adam. Sharon left the house to Adam. Why did she do that? I'll tell you why, because it's drama. It's beautiful, beautiful drama, and it's going to be fantastic. Adam is now of the pariah in Genoa City. Sharon was the only thing anchoring him to anything normal. And now here he is. He could take off. He could go away for a long, long time. But no, now he owns Sharon's house, and he's packing his bags, and he's getting ready to move in at the ranch and stir up some wonderful, wonderful trouble. Okay, you guys, that does it for me. I hope that you enjoyed it. I've had a world of computer issues this week, and I'm, it's still going on right now. So I'm hoping that this is being posted on time um, without any troubles. Um, it's been kind of a crazy week. You know, does anybody watch YNR? Online, or do you guys? I think I've asked you this before, but do you guys watch it um, live, or do you tape it, or TiVo it, or do you watch it online? Because I watch it online, and somehow Wednesday's show got uploaded from CBS, I guess. I typically watch it on what used to be Vancast. I think it's now called Xfinity. But that's where I watch it. But it's the same feed that you get from CBS.com, and I double-checked. But this week, Wednesday's show was posted without any music track. It was really, really freaking weird. Like, all of the scenes had audio, and you could even hear, like, in the restaurant, there was background noise that was put into there. But there was no music track. Not the opening sequence, not the ending sequence, and most importantly, no music over any of the scenes. And it was a totally foreign viewing experience. And it really made me realize what a difference the music makes. I mean, it might still be posted. You should go check it out, because it's just weird. I mean, like... The music ties all of the scenes together. You know, it kind of makes it sort of a fluid thing. And it ends scenes with a really big bang. You know, it's the music just adds so much to the show. 
and not having it really made me appreciate how wonderful it is and and the incredible element that it adds to the storytelling. So, anyway, that's just an observation from me. I wonder if anybody else noticed it. Ah, well, it's been a really crazy week. It'll probably be another really crazy week, but um, not as crazy as it is in Genoa City. I just need to thank the Lord that my life is not that crazy. (laughs) But we'll be back next week to chat about all of the crazy. I hope that you guys are enjoying YNR and that you're enjoying my chat and that you leave me a comment and let me know what you think about all of the jazz that's going on on this week's show or next week's show. I always look forward to hearing from you. All right, you guys, have an awesome week. I love you lots, and I'll talk to you next time. Bye.